0: You know, there are a lot of reasons people give for not wanting to gather together with a local church and worship. You know, I like to sleep in on Sundays. That's, that may be one that you've used before. I, I use that one a lot as a teenager. You know, Sunday's really the only day I have to actually take a break. You know, I don't know that I want to go worship in a church. That, pe- that place is just full of hypocrites. But you know what? The Bible actually gives us reasons why we should want to worship. Why God's people should want to worship, and not just on our own. You may know some people who say, oh, I love to worship God. I, I like to go out in the woods and experience Him in nature. I, I, like, I like to go out fishing, you know, and I just feel connected to God. There, there are people who say, you know what? I like to read my Bible every day. But, you know, to go to church, I don't think I have to go to church. I have Jesus. I, I don't need church. You know, if you do research in our country, you'll find that most people have no problem with Jesus. Jesus is fine. Jesus is good. We can deal with Jesus. they got a problem with the church. I don't know about that organized religion. Some of you may have children or grandchildren or, or, or parents or, or siblings ...who say that very same thing. You know, I just don't know about this organized religion thing. I know I do. But the reality is... ...the scripture tells us again and again... ...God's people want to worship God with God's people. It's just true. As we've been journeying through the songs of sense, ...Psalm 120 through 134... ...we're just seeing just the very basics of being God's people. We began with repentance... The act of saying no to those things that lead us away from God and therefore saying yes to God. We talked about trusting in God's providence, trusting in God's care, trusting in God's provision and who he is and what he has done for us. And now we arrive at the very basic thing that those who have repented and those who trust in God do, which is worship. You know, the Greek word that's often used in the New Testament for worship, characterizing what the church's worship looks like, is worship. In one sense, meaning worship, but it also is tied closely to the idea of service. Such that worship in itself is not just some term we can throw around, but it's actually our service to God. And more importantly, it's God's service to us. God's people should want to worship God, especially with God's people. That's just the most natural thing for someone who is in Christ to do. It's the most natural thing for a Christian to do. You know, and we see this in the psalm. It begins I was glad when they said to me, Let us go up to the house of the Lord. It wasn't, I was groggy. I was yawning. I was tired. It wasn't, I was upset or I was bored. Or I was indifferent. I was glad when they said to me, let us go up to that. Even the thought of going to worship God was a source for joy for the psalmist who is identified here as David. It was a source of joy. Source of gladness. Even if everything in the world is going wrong around us, we can be glad that on Sunday morning, what do we get to do? We get to join with our brothers and sisters in Christ and worship God. The one God true living God and we should want to do this and it seems to me that when we find ourselves in a state where we don't something is utterly wrong and you know what we can easily point fingers you know I used to enjoy worshiping but that was when we had twice as many people in the room and it was a lot more fun you know I used to enjoy worshiping but that's when the preacher that was here when I came to this church was here and and I just can't I just can't stand the new guy He just does not want to know what he's doing. You know, I really enjoyed church here, but then we changed song leaders, and, and some of the people who used to volunteer to play instruments stopped volunteering, and it's not as good as it used to be. I don't really feel it anymore. It's not joyful, it doesn't get my heart in the right spirit. There are a lot of things. There are a lot of things that we could point fingers at. But we should always, when we're in a state where we do not find the worship of God to be a joy, to be something that brings gladness to our heart, shouldn't the first thing we do to be to point the finger at ourselves, to look ourselves in the mirrors and say, what is wrong with you? I mean, the scripture makes it clear what's wrong with you is you're a sinner, that you want to worship things other than God. And truthfully, it may very well be that there is something outside of your life that is the problem and it's not you. But it seems to me, in my own experience, and I'm just speaking from my experience, when I don't want to show up to worship God, it's my problem, not the churches, Not my brothers and sisters in Christ who faithfully go there on Sunday. It's my problem. I, I, I may not like the music, or I may not like the prayers, or I may not like the volunteer who goes up and reads the scriptures. He's kind of a hick. I'm from Oklahoma, so that was a common problem. But the reality is, it's not their fault. And you know what? It's not God's fault either. When I am not glad to go to church and worship God, it may be because there's a sin in my life that I am ignoring. And so every Sunday, whether I acknowledge it in my head or not, I am, not, I am being confronted with the the fact that I am supposed to be worshiping a God who is holy, but I am coming to him with the most unholy of hands and the most unholy of head and the most unholy of heart because of this sin that is ruling and reigning in my life instead of the Lord Jesus Christ. It, it, could, be, it could be that I have begun to worship something other than God. I, I may have even begun to worship the things that were meant to lead me to worship God. I may have begun to worship that preacher that I used to love. I may have begun to worship that family that sat next to me, and they made every Sunday more better because their kids would be laughing and smiling, and now they're not there. The reality is, whether you know it or not, our hearts want to worship something. And listen, there's a ton of people out out of this room this morning, whether they're in church or not, and their hearts are worshiping something. Worship and service are tied so closely together. You know, it's the great theologian Bob Dylan who said... You're going to serve somebody. It may be the devil, or it may be the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. And that's true of our serving and worshiping hearts. We were created to serve, and we were created to worship, and we will worship somebody. We will worship something. And the most dangerous thing is when we're worshiping something other than the one true living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God revealed to us in Jesus Christ, and we don't even know it. I always tell people, you can go and read the Old Testament. We, kinda, we give, the, we give the, the Hebrew people a hard time in the Old Testament. They just got delivered out of Egypt and they wanted to make a golden calf? You know, one of the Psalms says that they worship these idols and they see these idols. They, they have eyes, but they cannot see. They have mouths that they cannot hear. And you, as you worship them, become like them. And we say, oh, these foolish Old Testament people. Oh uh, Well, if only they had the Spirit of God. You know what I tell people? We live in a secular age, so we may not worship statues made by hands, but we certainly worship things and people. And the reality is, at least they were smart enough to know it when they were doing it. Because we go about our lives saying we worship God, and, and everything in our lives betrays that. We say we worship God, but Monday through Saturday do we give him a lo- whole lot of attention. I know people who say they worship God, and they don't give him a whole lot of attention on Sunday morning or Wednesday night either. The reality is, we will worship something, and if we are not careful, it will cease to be God, and it will begin to be something else. So when we cease to want to worship God, we need to look at ourselves and say, have I made an idol out of something? Have I allowed a sin to rule in my life that is keeping me from worshiping God truly? We should point the fingers at ourselves first. But here are three positive reasons this song gives us for why we should want to worship God. The first is that worship gives us a framework for life. Worship gives us a framework for life. You know, as you live in this world, you probably experience just the feeling of being pulled in all these different directions. It, it's almost like your heart, your head, your, 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 your life as a whole is being pulled by everybody and everything. They all want you to do something. I don't know about you, but I have one of those families that if I lived 15 minutes from them, they'd be trying to fill up my calendar every day of the week. And that's just my family. That doesn't include my kin, which are the people that are kind of related to you, but aren't really related to you. Okay, maybe you don't know about that. I think in East Tennessee you do, though. But the reality is we, we are constantly pulled in all these different directions. Maybe a better way to, to think about it is this. Maybe you know someone. Maybe you had a mother or a grandmother or a friend who used to to use a loom you know they'd have the threads and the yarn and they would use the loom to to work it into a fabric to a cloth maybe you've seen or maybe you've gone to to a to a museum or to a historical site and you've seen an old loom the machine that it's got the frame and on it hang all these threads and they're being, they're using the machine to work them into to a, a piece of fabric that holds together that is useful that 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 has a purpose but what, what would happen if you took that loom and you could, you could get it ready and you're halfway through the project and you snap your fingers and the loom could disappear? Well, all of that thread would just fall on the floor in a big jumble and it would be useless. It would be meaningless. It would take hours to try to make it useful again. A lot of people live their lives like a ball of yarn in the floor that has no framework. They have no sense of purpose, they have no sense of meaning, they have no sense of direction, they have no sense of identity. They don't know who they are, what they're supposed to be doing, how they're supposed to be doing it, when they're supposed to be doing it, where they're supposed to be doing it, and who they're supposed to be doing it with. They have no purpose, no direction, no meaning, no identity. That's how a lot of people live our, that's how a lot of us live our lives, even still. What we need is a framework. We need something that holds those pieces together, that, that gives us that shared identity and purpose and meaning. Look at the Psalm. It says Jerusalem, which represents uh, the city of worship. It says, built as a city that is bound firmly together. A city that was built to be bound firmly together. It has a framework, it has sense, it has structure, it has meaning. And in that bound framework, the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord. Not, not just one of the tribes, all the tribes of the Lord. In the Old Testament, this was talking about the 12 tribes of Israel, or the 11 tribes and the two half-tribes, however you want to look at it. But it's talking about the people of Israel, and, and those tribes were actually very different. Their cultures were very different, the way they lived their lives could be very different. Now, they, they had that shared heritage of being the people of Israel, but there were a lot of differences there. And now in the time of Christ, after his coming, it's not just the Jewish people. It's not just Israel. It's all people that are welcomed in. All tribes, all tongues, all nations. And they can come together, bound firmly together. By what? By the fact that we all worship the same God. The one, true, living God. Worship gives us a shared framework. It tells us a story. It makes sense of things. Last week we had a guest speaker, Dr. Ryan Putman, and and before our service began, he actually did that joint Sunday school, if you were able to be here, uh, with all the adults, and he talked about a Christian worldview. A worldview being the the ideas that you have, the the story that you tell yourself about the world around you. And that worldview, the way you view the world, affects how you are interpreting the things that you see, the things that you experience, the things that you take in. And he was saying that, that... A Christian worldview gives you specific answers to specific questions. So most worldviews are trying to ask questions like, Who am I? Where am I? You know, what's the problem with the world? What's the solution? And he walked us through, and you know, the Christian answer is, Who am I? I am a human being made in the image and likeness of God, made to serve and worship Him. Where am I? I'm in a world created by God, and all of His creation was good. In fact, it was very good. But what's the problem? Well, human beings, through our own choices, have decided to rebel against God and disobey His word, such that sin has entered into this world, evil has entered this world, the result of sin, which is death, has entered this world. And what's the solution? The solution is that instead of abandoning us, instead of ignoring us, instead of leaving us to our own devices, God stepped into this world. The the Son of God took on human flesh and lived in this world without sinning. He never took part of the problem that we have. And he went to the cross and died for us, taking the penalty for our sin, which is death. But then he was raised from the dead, defeating not only sin, but also death itself. So that one day when he returns, we will all, we will all be raised from the dead. And some of those will be raised to eternal life with God and some of those to eternal death apart from God. That's a story that we tell in part or in whole or in in different ways every time we gather together to worship God. It's that story, it's that framework that gives our life meaning and purpose, gives us identity, who we are Gives us an understanding of where we are. Gives us direction. And so worship gives us a framework for life. A very important thing to have. Worship also flows from our relationship with God. It says that these tribes of the Lord go up to Jerusalem to worship. It says in verse 4, As was decreed for Israel. As was commanded of God's people. To give thanks to the name of the Lord. Worship's an interesting thing because it's both a command that God gives us and a thing we freely do. You know, some people want to pull those two things apart, but it seems Scripture wants to hold them together. As was decreed for Israel, as was commanded, as was ordered, as was ordained by God for God's people, that they would worship Him. So worship isn't just something that we we do because we feel like it or because it makes us happy. It's something we do because God commands it of us. It's the very natural thing that we do for a holy God who is our God, but it's also something we do as a way of thanking God. You know, worship isn't, worship isn't an instrumental thing. It's not something we do in order to gain God's affection or salvation or, or, or privilege. It, it's something we do because we already have those things. You know, there's a lot of religions that would teach something along the lines of, you know, if you pay this God or that God a certain amount of attention and affection. You know, I even heard stories about, in, in some countries, there's some religions where they have tribal gods and if it's your birthday, this is ironic that I'm saying this this morning, but if it's your birthday, you are supposed to go on that, on that day, because each of these gods have a day, you're supposed to go and, and pay you know, your, your tithe, I guess, to this god, and you're supposed to go and give that god attention so that he doesn't get upset at you because you're getting a lot of attention on your birthday. That's not at all what Christianity teaches. We're not worshiping God in order to score brownie points in order to score our salvation, in order to gain anything. God has already saved us in Christ. God has already done everything that was necessary for our salvation in the person of Jesus Christ and through the work of the Spirit. So what is worship about? It's about giving thanks to the name of the Lord. Giving thanks to Jesus, which means God saves. Giving thanks to Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Giving thanks to the name of the Lord, because I don't have to go and worship him for my salvation. I am saved, so I worship him. Worship is what a saved person does. Worship is what a person who has repented and had faith in Jesus Christ, does. Worship is the very, the very act of following Jesus Christ. It's the, very most, it's the most basic thing. And so I'll be honest. I have family, I have friends who've made professions of faith, but I haven't seen them in church in a long time. And when I do, it's usually because something caused them to have their arm twisted to be there. And I'll tell you this, I'm not their judge, I don't know the state of their heart, I don't know the state of their soul, but I don't have a whole lot of confidence in it. I know we put a lot of confidence on the decision, but the reality is a true decision for Christ should change how we live. Now that doesn't mean we live perfectly, but doesn't it mean we should at least live repentantly? That we should at least feel remorse and sorrow for our sin and, and seek and seek for God to change how we're living? Shouldn't it at least get us to be able to get out of bed and and go to church with our brothers and sisters in Christ? I don't know, but I'll tell you I'm concerned for those who do not desire and do not make worship in the church a priority. But the good news is it's something that flows from the very, very relationship we have with God. If we are in relation to God, worship Flows And it flows like a mighty river. It, it flows like, like rain coming down to the point of a deluge, to the point of flooding. That's how worship flows out of the heart of a Christian. And, and when it ceases to do so, it, it doesn't mean we're not saved necessarily. It may just mean that we have a problem we need to, to look at ourselves and reflect upon and make sure our relationship with the Lord is, is good. In verse 5, This kind of stands out, doesn't it? The psalmist writes, There thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. In this psalm, we've already heard about the house of the Lord. We'll be reminded of it again at the end. The house of the Lord, worshiping in the house of the Lord is kind of the, the whole theme running throughout the song. But in the midst of it, right in the middle, it talks about the, thr- the house of David, the thrones of the house of David. And these thrones were set for judgment, for righteous judgment, for justice, for peace to be brought about. The reality that this psalmist is talking about is they can't imagine Jerusalem, the city of worship, being a united, peaceable place unless there is a God to rule and reign and bring justice To discern between what is good and what is wrong. And that's all put together with the phrase, the house of David. That phrase should clue us in to a larger story in scripture. A story that begins from Genesis chapter 3. In which the first humans sinned. and, And God tells them the consequences of their sin. But he promises them a good thing will happen. There is one who is coming who will crush the serpent's head and the serpent will wound its heel. There is one who is coming as a wounded victor to restore all things. And we see as time goes on, it it comes into Genesis 12 with Abraham, right? And Abraham is promised, there is one coming from your line. As time goes on, we find out it's from the tribe, or from the people of Israel, Abraham's grandson. It's his people. We find out later it's, it's the tribe of Judah that it is coming. And we later find out it is actually from the line and lineage of David that the Christ, the Messiah, the one who is coming to save, is coming. The wounded victor promised all the way in Genesis chapter 3 is coming from the line and lineage of David such that he is truly a Davidic king representing representing God's rule and reign in all that he does. Jesus Christ was that Messiah. He was the one who came to deliver, not just Israel, but the whole world. And as he comes, he comes with a decisive word. And when he returns, it'll even be more decisive because he will separate those who are of him and those who are apart from him. But our worship should be centered on that decisive word of God, the true justice of God, the, the judgment of God. Not on our own judgment, but on the judgment of God. It's His decisive Word that we hear, that we obey, that we respond to. And that's why in our worship service, everything ought to be focused on the Word of God. We should be reading Scripture in our service, and not just Scripture for the sermon. We should be, we should be referencing Scripture in our prayers and in our songs, and the songs should be drawn from the truth of Scripture. Why? Not because we're mere biblicists, as if this is the only thing that we know. But because this is the word of God and everything else isn't. Because this tells us everything we need to know for faith and for life in Christ. And so our worship services, if we only have an hour a week together, should be focused on the word of God. And listen, there are good Christians. There are good intentioned Christians who still would would want us to be distracted from focusing on the worship of the one true God on Sunday morning. Because of, of, of what we've grown up with or what our preferences are. And I understand that, but the conviction is that we build this church on the living word, which is Christ. And we give the language of our church as the word, the written word of God. And we focus on him and we focus on what he's taught us in his word. Those are three reasons we should want to worship God, because it gives us a framework for life, because it flows from our relationship with God, because it reminds us of God's decisive word, which should be the rule of faith in our life. And those kind of worshiping communities, those kinds of churches, actually change the world around us. Look at verses 6 through 9. We'll take them all together this morning. He says, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. He's praying that the those who love god those who worship god would be secure would be cared for he says peace be within your walls and security within your towers for my brothers and companions sake i will say peace be within you now you may be like me and you might notice the walls and the towers the things meant to keep people out but notice what the emphasis on it's not what's on outside it's what's on with what's within peace and security Within you, within your walls, within your towers. The focus isn't on keeping people out. It's on taking care of who's inside. He says, for the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Worshiping communities change the communities around them. Worshiping communities change the neighborhoods around them. Listen, First Baptist Church of Alcoa was not placed here by God because there's a neighborhood filled of people that we can draw into our membership. No, 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 no. God put First Baptist Church of Alcoa here because there is a neighborhood that we need to care for. He put us here not so that we had a bunch of prospects that we could go door to door and pull into our membership. He put us here so that we could bless and serve our neighborhood. That's what the church is here for. To spread God's kingdom. To be a light to the nations, to the neighborhoods, to the communities, to the towns. To be a light on a hill. To be salt to the earth. We are here for the people around us. And so it's not merely enough to show up here and worship God rightly. We must go out and serve God rightly for the people around us. That's why we end our service every time we gather together. First Baptist Alcoa, you are are sent. It's not for our health. It's not because it's clever. It's not because we saw some other church do it and we thought, that's a good idea. It's because when we gather together, we, we worship the one true living God. We worship Jesus Christ in the, in the power of the Spirit, and we walk out these doors as people who are sent to serve the people around us, as sent ones, as missionaries to our communities. And so it's not merely enough to worship God rightly here. We have to worship him out there. Okay, this is where I would normally probably end the sermon. But there's a little bit of application I want to walk through. Something that isn't necessarily, it's connected to the sermon, but it's not directly tied. And so I'm just going to ask you to follow along here. This is the application I want us to look at this morning. It will be a lot quicker than you think maybe, depending on how long you think it's going to be. The reality is, if we are going to have good worship in here, and we are going to worship God and serve people out there, we need to actively participate in worship. We can't be merely passive in how we worship God, and so here's five, I know five, uh, things that I'm going to suggest that as challenges to us as a church, and, and this is where, if you don't take notes, I'm going to ask you to either pull out your phone or grab your bulletin and just write these five things down. It, it's... This might be good for your health, I don't know. The first one is this. When we gather together, we should sit together. Now, if you don't know what I mean by that, let me explain. We should sit together. If, if you haven't noticed, this is a large sanctuary. It's not very full. Actually, up here I can see, you know, everybody. And I can see all the empty space between you all. Now I know that some of you sit where you sit because that's where you sat for years or for decades. Some of you sat there when your kids were still here before they grew up and moved out. Some of you sat there with your spouse before they passed away. So I understand why you are where you are. But I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you, and if you really can, starting next week, instead of spreading out in this room, to sit together. It would be great if you would sit as close to the front and as much in the middle row as you are humanly capable of doing. Really, if we could fill the, the first six or eight rows with people and you know, fill them up from the front instead of the back, that would make a huge difference. You may not think it, but I'll tell you a few reasons why. If we have a guest show up and they look around the room right now, they'll see all the empty space between us. If we all sat here, yeah, there'd be empty space around us, but they would actually see that we have a good little group. Not only that, but if we all sat together, you know what, they may get a really strange idea that we might actually like each other. Wouldn't that be awful if a guest showed up at church and thought these people actually like each other? But they would. Not only that, but it's better for your worship. You know what, some of you, and if I sat in the back, I'd be one of them, you see that I'm a little bit of a four-eyes as well, can hardly read the screen or can hardly see what's going on up here. In fact, if y'all really wanted to see what I was doing, I'd have to come down on the floor and then I'd be too low for you. But the reality is, if you come up here, especially if you have young kids, if you sit in the first few rows, your kids are going to be able to pay better attention to the service. They're going to be able to see you standing when you're supposed to stand and singing when you're supposed to sing and saying amen when you're supposed to say amen. And, and they'll get it. It'll take time. Yeah, they may run around a little bit, but we'll forgive them, Okay. But if you were up here, you'd be able to pay better attention and be a better part of the church. Not only that, if you actually sat together, you'd be able to hear each other. You'd be able to hear each other say amen. You'd be able to hear each other sing. And you know what? When guests are here, they would do the same thing. They would sit here and think, wow, this church actually sings songs. I wasn't entirely sure when they are all spread out in a big room. And not only that, but if we sit together, some of us who may not know each other so well can get to know each other well. You know We're a community of faith, and, and we're small enough right now that we could really all know each other. We really could. We could all be best friends. Well, that's a little bit harder when we're all spread out. So that's my challenge, and I know it's a hard one. I know it's harder. It sounds easy, and I know it's harder for some of you who are creatures of habit, and I know I'm one of them. All, all my, I want you all to know that I moved up one row this morning because I knew I was going to be saying this this morning. But I do want you to know, I do want you to know that I understand that it's difficult, but I think this is a good challenge for our church. and It's also a good little test to see how much we are willing to step out of our comfort zone for the sake of our worship, for the sake of worshiping God, and for the sake of reaching people who visit our church. Number two, they're all going to be shorter than that one. Sing together. It's pretty simple. We sing music that is, that is the words are drawn from Scripture. I don't know how many of you sing. I don't know how good you are at singing, but sing. Just sing. It'll be okay. We're commanded in Scripture, sing to one another, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So, you know, take care of your voice in the morning and uh, get ready to sing. And you know what, if you don't know the songs and you don't know the tunes, you don't know the words, that's okay. There's an easy fix for that. We send out a weekly email every week. It lists all the songs we sing the next Sunday. It never goes out later than Wednesday unless there's a dire emergency. Sometimes it goes out before that. It has all the songs. And you know what, if there's one you don't know, you can click on it, and it'll take you a playlist that has all those songs in the versions that are closest to the ones we sing on Sunday. It would be a huge blessing to the people around you, and to any guest that visits our church, if you came prepared to sing with your brothers and sisters in Christ on Sunday. Not only that, here's the third one. I made them all, this is a very Baptist list, okay, you'll see why. Study together, study together. What I mean by that is, some of you are note takers, naturally, I didn't have to tell you to pull out Uh, and take notes this morning. Here's the deal. I understand. Naturally, I don't want to sit there and write notes, especially during a sermon. But you know what I realize? If I write notes, I remember things. If I write notes, things actually hit me in ways they wouldn't if I wasn't taking them in that way. A lot of you don't write any notes, and you walk out these doors, and if there was any conviction in your heart, anything that you learned, it may be gone like that. You look at your cell phone, five messages are there waiting for you, and you will remember nothing that happened in the service. You know what? There are a lot of you who are, who are blessings, and, and I love hearing how the sermons affect you because I, I know that's not me. I know that that has to be the Lord because I'm not capable of affecting anybody, but the reality is the ones who come to me not on Sunday, but three or four days later and tell me, you know what? I was really convicted by this, or this really, this really meant a lot to me, or who can say that stuff? They tend to be the note takers, because they actually they took, the, they took the time to think about it in the service. They may have looked at their notes later in the week. And if you don't take notes, maybe, maybe the thing for you is to go back and listen to the sermon online later. I don't know. But study together. Be in the Word of God. And let our time in worship. This is our primary time for discipleship. If you want to grow as a Christian, this is where we do it. Do we have Sunday school? Yes. Do we have Wednesday night? Yes. But the primary time in church, in church history for 1,500 plus years... The primary time where people grew in their relationship with Christ as a group of people was Sunday morning at a Sunday service. Number four, say together or speak together, whichever you like better. Say together. You know, when we, when we end prayers, you're more than welcome to say amen. And, and listen, you may not believe it, but I would be totally fine if when I was preaching someone said amen or praise the Lord or hallelujah. Hallelujah just means praise the Lord. I don't know if you want to know that. But you participate in the service. Don't, don't just let this be entirely a monologue. Although I might like that, y'all might not like it so much. You know, when we have a preacher, whether it's me or somebody else, and they say, they quote scripture in a way that, that hits right, you can say amen. If they say something that's just true from the Bible, you can say amen, it's okay. And listen to this, not only that, when we do the call to worship as we begin our service, get up, read the scripture with us. Participate in the service. We read that together so that we're all united in that in that call to worship. And not only that, when we do our scripture readings before the sermon, we usually end it by saying, "This is the word of the Lord." Again, we do that because this is the word of the Lord. Yes, it was written by men, but as First Timothy three no, sorry, Second Timothy three sixteen says, "All Scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable." Hebrews four twelve says us that it's powerful. This isn't just the words of men. It's inspired by God. So we say at the end of our scripture reading, this is the word of the Lord. And you know what you can say in response? Thanks be to God. Because we are thankful that God has revealed himself in his written word to us. And finally this. You can stay together. Now, you might just be thinking that I'm, I'm referring to the fact that you should all stay members here, and you should keep attending, and, and don't jump ship. Okay, sure, I mean all of that. But really what I mean by stay together is this. There are many things that could take up our time on a Sunday morning. There are many things. And right now, as we have guests attending our, our services, the thing that we need from you is as much as you can be here, be here. Really. I mean, really be here. I mean, if, if five of you go on vacation, it's noticeable. It really is. So if you're able to be here, if you're able to rearrange your schedule to be here on Sunday, you can. I'm not talking about people who are providentially hindered. If your health is keeping you from being here, you don't have to be here. If you really have to go see your grandkids, I'm, I get it. But if you can be here, it would be a blessing to the people around you. You may not realize it, but just showing up is half the battle. We are in a, a battle. We are in a spiritual war. And the only way we can fight it is if we show up under God's word, for Christ, in prayer, worshiping him with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. Let's pray.